It's good to see you. Week two of our series, Road to Emmaus. Uh, I am stoked. Could not believe uh, how fast this week went. We had one of those five-day weekends in uh, for the Mount Vernon School System this last week. How many one of those parents out there that I was like, it's it Wednesday? Yes. Is it Wednesday? Yeah. So Wednesday, yeah. It's like Tuesday, and I'm like, holy smokes, here we go. I know all the teachers in here are like, no, <laughs> I was not thinking that. <laughs> um, but hey, this series, you guys, I, I, I'm meeting with a, a couple great and smart and wise people that are helping me kind of put this together. And I'll tell you, we met Thursday morning, and it was like one of the most fun discussions ever because we're trying to choose eight chronological events leading up to Easter that are going to have the largest impact for you to kind of understand the story of Jesus going into Easter morning. And you sat down, and we all looked at each other and go, how are we going to choose? <laughs> Like, what, what are we? There's like over 40 some events that I would say have significance. And so I'll just tell you flat out uh, we're going to skip some. All right? There's just no way we're going to make them through all of them. But that's okay. All right, that's okay. Uh, part of that is because there is just, uh, there's some really cool things that I think we're going to get to focus in on, and I think as an overall vision, you need to keep in mind that this is not about telling you everything. This is about you discovering your story, your idea of what has made Jesus infamous. What has made Jesus infamous in your line? And that's really the question I want you to be thinking about, and is my first slide. What has made Jesus infamous? I mean, because if, if he is infamous, if he is really the person that I think you and I have discovered him to be in the sense of like, he is beyond famous, he is renowned, he is now millennium long famous, all right, what has that been? How did we get here? And for your lifetime, whatever that may be, 15 or, you know, 75 or longer years, uh, you have in your mind built up an idea, an account, a reason for why Jesus is so infamous. And really what Easter morning is, I'm hoping it's going to be for you, is if you had to sit down with someone and describe and tell them why Jesus has such a significant role in your life. Why is he worth following? You will have a dotted eight-week or a dotted amount of events that you will say, listen, I don't know everything, but I'll tell you what I've heard, and I'll tell you what I've seen, and i tell you what I'm convicted, and I believe, and you would be able to lay it out. So the goal of the series is not to tell you everything. The goal is at the end for you to have that in your mind, whether it be one, two, five, eight, 40 events, you need to have the reasons that Jesus is famous. Why is he so needed, so desired, so followed by so many? So today, knowing we can't cover everything, knowing that we are trying to chronologically follow the ministry and life of Christ, we are going to jump to his baptism. Now, I know some of you love the Christmas story and, you know, the idea of Christ being born. I know some of you know there's some amazing things that we are jumping by starting here. Uh, one of them, which I laid out, which was so cool, is that Herod, the king at the time, threatens Jesus when he's born and he wants to kill him. And so rather than fleeing away from Egypt, the family of God has to go back to Egypt, which is the place that God called them out of in Exodus, which is cool. So they escape to Egypt rather than getting away from it. And that's where Jesus has to go to hide out for a little while until things calm down, which is so neat. Uh, there's a time when he's 12, he ends up going to church and starts teaching out of the book of Isaiah. And the stuff he's teaching, all the teachers of the law are like, whoa, you got some deep thoughts, man. And then Mary and Martha, uh, Mary and Joseph, Mary and Martha, Mary and God for three days. 
That's in there too. And if you've missed that, that's like one of those great moments as a parent. You're like, I don't feel as bad anymore. You know, I just, I don't, I lost him for 30 minutes in Walmart. Not the same as losing Jesus for three days. Uh, it's just not the same. Uh, and, and I just wonder what that conversation was like too, right? Well, you lost him. You better talk to God about that. You know, it was your job, whatever. But that's a whole thing. We skipped over that. And then we're, we're, we're actually at the place where like, maybe we need to talk about John the Baptist himself, who is going to be a part of our story today, where he is a part of the narrative from the very beginning in some of the gospels. And he's a part of the story from the very beginning. He's like laying the groundwork. All right. He's like the guy that prepares the way, all right, for us to recognize who Jesus is. But we're going over that. I mean, there's just some good stuff, but we're going to start here. And there's a very specific reason that I hope by the end you will get. So, John the Baptist is going to baptize Jesus. This account is found in three of the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. I want to give you some clarification before we get to Mark's account. This is really good. Leave it up there. Very good. Mark's account. Now, just background, and I know for some of you Bible geeks, this will be really fun, and for some of you, you're going to tune out. It's okay. I'll tell you when you can tune back in. If you don't want to tune out for this, just pay attention. Mark is said to be the oldest gospel, and by that it meant it was probably written first. It was probably written or at least recorded by Mark, but it's really Peter's account. Now, if you read Mark, Mark has a lot of really quick, hard-hitting language. Like, we got to get through this. we got to get this done. we got to get this written down. It's powerful. Grab it. Hold on to it. Matthew and Luke are 90% um, using the same reference that is Mark, in the sense of what Mark records is 90% of Matthew and Luke. They record the same. Now, they add their own stuff, obviously, because they have their own eyewitnesses and things they're looking after, but they have 90% equal. So then there's this 10% that's in Matthew and Luke that we're like, where did that come from? What is that? All right. So there's some theories about that. I'm just going to throw this out for the Bible geeks out there. Some of you have heard of Q-Source before. It's worth looking into if you've never looked into it before. This is the thought that there is an oral tradition or some thoughts and stories that were passed on through lectures and through liturgical services at that time that Matthew and Luke were able to tap into that were continued that Mark was not recording because it was Peter's firsthand account. Okay? Now, we don't have those still. Obviously, that's not something we still have access to. But what that does is that gives us a shape to realize the differences between Mark, Matthew, and Luke to say there are a lot of people that all three of these guys are talking to and pulling information from. Now, why that's important today is because we're going to start with Mark, but then I want to go to Matthew and Luke, and I want you to see how they're talking about the same event, and they're talking about the same thing happening, and they use very specific quotations of each other. And when they do that, you can tell they are trying to get certain parts exactly right. Exactly the same. And it's really powerful and neat that this is happening. And now we have this 2,000 years later. 2,000 years later, three documents older than almost anything else we have from antiquity. And the most, you can look back, Dead Sea Scrolls, pretty crazy. So Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Tune back in if you just tuned out for Bible Geek Time. All right, here we're back. We're just in Mark now. We're just hanging out. We're talking about John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. At the time Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee, he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Notice how Mark is very, very quick. This is nine verses into his gospel. He has skipped over the whole born of a virgin, all this stuff that's gone on really, really fancy, and he's just gone, boom, here it is. We're just jumping into his ministry. 
All right? Kind of like how Peter wasn't there at the beginning. Get it? He just, this is where he knew him from. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, pay attention to this, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice, this is the very key thing, a voice came down, love, and with with you I am well pleased. You are my son with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Amazing, right? We're going to explain this in just a second. So, Jesus goes under the water, comes back up. He's being baptized because John the Baptist is baptizing people to get them ready to meet Jesus. Not to baptize them in the same way that you and I would be called to baptize, but literally saying, be baptized so that you're ready to meet Jesus. Repent so that your heart is ready to receive Jesus. Not even just baptize into Jesus. Repent before you meet Jesus. That's, that's the place that we're at. So then Jesus comes out, and he's like, hey, baptize me. And we're going to find out whether or not John thinks that's a good idea in Luke and Matthew. Let's go to the next one. Luke. All the people were being baptized. See, John is baptizing lots of people. Jesus was baptized too. As he was praying, heaven opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Notice the language. As a voice came down from heaven, he says, you are my son with whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Almost a direct quotation. You see that? It's pretty neat. Pretty neat. Now look at Matthew's. Look at Matthew's. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John, but John, look at the, notice the difference here, but John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. This is where it makes sense to us, right? Can you imagine Jesus coming up and being like, hey, you're doing great work. I need you to baptize me. You don't have to be a theologian to kind of immediately be like, hey, hey, like, this is for you, not for you. <laughs> is that like, like, you're right? Like, this is not that different. But he says, no, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come, do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. Now, if Jesus looked at you and said, listen, do what I tell you to do. <laughs> That's basically what he just did right here. <laughs> just do it, all right? He said, okay. It'll be proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, this right here seems totally confusing, right? When you see fulfill all righteousness, I want you to remember righteousness is in right standing, in right standing. It's a relational term. Relational term. In right standing. This is so that everybody knows the relationships are all good. What does that mean? Keep going. I'm going to explain it. Keep going. Then John consented. Okay, fine. You're Jesus. I'll do it. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And the moment heaven and earth opened, look at this, and the Spirit of God descending like a dove, Alighting on him, and a voice came from heaven and said, This is my son with whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Almost a direct quotation again. That whole scene. Now I want to point out, Mark gets it. Luke expands on it for Theophilus. But Matthew gives you the full understanding from the Jewish perspective. 
So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have their ideas of what needs to be elevated, but leave the core there. Why Matthew says Jesus' quote for all righteousness is my first thought for you. Why is the heaven opening? And why is the dove coming down? And then why is this voice being heard? Is there a need for Jesus to kind of go super saiyan in this moment? That was my first thought. It's like him charging up. You know what I mean? Like this is the start of his ministry. He's like, 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 like all of a sudden, like he's ready now. Like, and I don't mean to make light of this, but like that's what I'm thinking about right here, right? If the heavens open up, a dove comes down, son, go. Like you're like immediately like, okay, here we go. But then you get that little phrase. So fulfill all righteousness. This is about confirmation. This is not transformation. This is confirmation. This is not about transformation. This is about confirmation. All three of God's manifestations are present and represented. All of God is with Jesus. Not transformation, but confirmation. This is God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, all represented, all with Jesus, all united in all righteousness, all in right standing, and saying, we're on one mission. I'm well pleased with this plan. I'm well pleased with how this is going. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. Here we go. It is not describing a new part of what Jesus... It is confirming that the plan is on. We are doing this. It's a go. We're all together. And everybody that's watching is going, okay, there's a lot going on here. Here we go. I want to break you down because you may not understand exactly how this would be seen by a crowd of people that had come under Jewish understandings and culture. They would immediately be drawn to Genesis 1 and the imagery in Genesis 1. Listen to this. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering. What kind of language is that? It's almost like a a, a bird. Hovering over the waters. And God said what? Let there be light. And there was light. Now here's what's so cool. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Word. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Word, and he made light, and he used his voice to bring about creation. All of God represented all in, here we go. And you feel this even more That Jesus came with a singular focus to make something new again. That's what he did. He's coming again. You're like, okay, here we go. This is confirmation of the plan from Genesis 3. When the fall came, there is going to be need to be a new Adam, a new earth. Things are going to have to change because something has been broken. And guess what gospel starts that way? The one that's written last. John's gospel. Look at John 1 and how he exposes all the things that we've just been talking about. Look at John 1. This is so cool. John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was what? The Word. 
Let there be light. But he's not talking about words. He's talking about the capital W word. My son. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This has been, this is not a new transformation. This is confirmation that we're all together. Been so since the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing has been made, has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light. See the imagery here? Of all mankind. He's tying Genesis, and he's tying the complete representation of God all together, one plan, united, confirmed in the ministry and the baptism of Christ. Because John never mentions the baptism of Christ. This is his way of telling you, God's all in, everybody's all in. powerful. It's cool. Do you want to know how this means for us? Because this just blew my mind. When the church is born after Jesus dies, in Acts chapter 2, do you know who he confirms for a part of his plan next? It's us. At Pentecost, a group of men are sitting in an upper room. Jesus has been dead and gone, and he's told them to wait for the Spirit of the God, for the Spirit of God to come. The temple, the curtain's been torn. Jesus has walked from dead to life. There's no more darkness. Now there is light that is offered. The Heavenly Father that was so distant and could not get to us because we were not in right standing now has been made in right standing. And so they're waiting. Look at the language of this. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This is language of fire is so powerful. It's It's the burning bush. It's the cloud and the pillar of fire at night when the Hebrews are in the desert. This is the presence of God hovering of the Holy Spirit. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I know some of you grew up in a background where this has been translated at times into holy language, angel language that needs to be interpreted. I, I don't want to discount that there's times that I think God uses that in a brilliant way with an interpreter. I think it's an amazing thing. Most of the time, I would tell you it's not in a corporate setting. It's not meant to be that. But that's not what it's talking about here. What he's talking about here is actual languages. <laughs> Pentecost would bring in the nations of the world that followed the Jewish religion, and there would be literally dozens of languages that would be, need to be interpreted in order for the message of Christ to get out. But instead, God just provides the words. So the tongue is the Spirit enabled them. And what happens is, in the very next verse, it lists all these nations and All the disciples come out of this upper room and start speaking in these people's native tongues. And so God brings the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit moves through the people, and they are now in line, in right standing, in the movement, the full manifestation, 
and in the work of God through their words, through their deeds on this earth. The church is the body of Christ. We are his representation, his ambassadors. We are to do what he would call us to do because we are him and he is us, tied together. Powerful how that all comes around. All of God is with us. That's what this says. All of God is with us. All of God being made right with all of humanity through Jesus. All of God being made right with all of humanity through Jesus. Mind-blowing, right? The baptism of Jesus is the start of the process to explain that God is all for us, all with us, all in, every part of him. What happens at the end of this when Peter sees that the crowd is being moved in Acts, that this representation of God that now has come down in fire and now is being spoken to in their native language, and the people are standing there, some of which, which most of these people would have been in the crowds that would have crucified Jesus just a few weeks before, because now they're back. And they're standing and they're watching this happen. And so Peter gets up and does what good preachers do. He just gives them the word. He gives them the gospel message. He lays it out. He puts it all on the table. He's like, you messed up. You killed them. God raised them. Repent. I mean, that's the message. You want to go read it? He says, you killed them. God raised them. Repent. And be forgiven. And he's not talking figuratively. Like you and I like to talk figuratively, right? No, like he's talking like, no, you actually yelled crucify him. Like physically yelled that. And so this sermon goes really, really well. Like really well. Like really, really well. Because like when, you, when they're like, yeah, we did that. We did. So then we read this as their response. And this is something I'm telling you when I read this, verses 37. It, it just, it, it breaks my heart because I see myself in it. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? We're guilty. We have killed the Son of God. Surely we are, we are not in good shape. Repent. Whoa. And be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. All of God wants all of humanity made right through Jesus. When 
I think about this story and John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, and I think about the example that this would be, that a humble God would have to come down and need something like that. Can you imagine? This is a baptism for sinful people. This isn't a baptism that's needed for Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to get baptized. Like, it's not like he's going out there to John the Baptist. He's like, listen, I got some secrets. These guys don't know. I need this. It's not that. He's not going up to John the Baptist and I go, listen, this is just a good political move. I know for me, there's lots of people out here that have been baptized. Now I'm one of them. This is an example. This is a humble response. This is a follow me response. This is something that I think he knew when this would be preached on this stage and when this would be preached in Acts chapter 2, that we would look at what Jesus did and we would say, I'm guilty. I'm cut to the heart. I, I don't know what to do. That we would respond by following his example. That we'd lay down our lives to him when we would say, I submit. I give you everything. All I have is yours. It's broken. It's messed up. It's not worked out. Even my, even my successes feel empty. But you can have it if you want it. It's yours. What does this mean for you and me? All you. You need to know that. The confirmation of Jesus' baptism says that he's all in for you. He wants you. Jesus came not for the best parts, but for the worst parts of you. Jesus came not for the best parts of you, but the worst. That is a mind-breaking thing for me. And I don't mean that he didn't see the positive or that he knows your value or that he truly loves you, but that's not why he had to come. If, if that's all you were, then he would have been like, cool, we're good, we're still in the garden. But he had to come because the worst in you, the worst in me, and he came anyways. What does this mean for you? We all have right standing with God through Jesus. We all have it. It's just whether or not you've chosen to accept it. We all have it. Right now. This morning is going to be very simple. The conclusion to this is what Jesus would want you to see. The, the baptism of Christ is the confirmation that God wants you, the worst of you, every time. And that he has made a way for you to be cut to the heart, but purified and made new. That he has made a way for you to let go and let him take control. That he has provided a way. Simply this, accept the gift of forgiveness from God and receive right standing with God. Accept the forgiveness from God and receive right standing from God. 
Ask, and he will give it to you. And the second is this. Be baptized. An outward confirmation of an inward transformation. It's an outward confirmation of an inward transformation. This isn't you going super saiyan when you get in this water. It's not. I wish. I mean, I wish I came out of there. I'm like, look, not keto, baptism. (laughs) I I wish it worked like that. But that's not how it works. God does his best work in dark places, not where the light is, not stay there. It should come out. It should be expressed. It should be seen. It should be heard. It should be celebrated. And I understand it's terrifying, especially when you grew up in a culture where you've probably heard the baptism sermon or heard the conviction of salvation and wanted to come before, or maybe even come before, but it's never been your choice. And I, and I get it. You're in a culture where you look around and you're like, they're going to judge me. They're going to judge me. I have never told anybody I've never been baptized. I get it. Don't let someone else control you. Don't let someone else who may not even be that, may even be on your team or would be the first in line to give you a hug and you think they're, they're going to judge you. Fix your eyes on Jesus in this moment. So here's what I'm going to do. I want, I want to remove that judgment for you. And I'm, I'm serious about this. When I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, I mean every single one of you. Don't cheat. I know how small towns can be. I don't want you to be thinking about that. And I really want you to hold my convictions to this. But in a minute, I'm going to have you bow your heads. Close your eyes. And then I'm going to count to three, and I want you to raise your hand if you want to get baptized. And I want you to think about it right now. But I want you to be controlled by who's sitting next to you, who may hear the chair move, who may not believe. I want you to listen to the wrestling in your heart that you know. You know you've needed to do this for a long time. You know that this is the thing that God has been calling you to do. He's been transforming and working in your life, maybe even for years, and you've never confirmed it for other people to see. You've never said, I'm all in. I'm all for it. I'm moving. Let's go. Heads down. Eyes closed. I'm serious. Don't look. I'm going to count to three in a minute. And what has been hidden on the inside is going to come flying out of you on the outside. What's been a secret thing that God's been up to is going to become a public thing in the best of ways. God's going to see you and he's going to smile and his joy is going to fill your heart. And you're going to believe it for the first time that it's not just something to whisper in the dark, it's something seen in the light. One, you listening? Two, here it comes. This is your chance. Every hand up in the air. Three, raise it high. Raise it high up in the air. You've never done it before. I see you. I see you out there. You are brave. 
I'm so proud of you. Anyone else, don't miss your chance. Confirm what God has been doing on the inside. This is your moment. Don't gator arm it. Get it up there. <laughs> oh, I love to see it. Put your hands down. Now there's another group out here that I'm going to give you a chance to. You ready? You've been walking for a long time, but you have invited God into forgiveness in a long time. With every head down and every eye closed, this is what I want you to do. If you've been baptized, but you've walked away, if you haven't surrendered your life, you heard that serenity prayer today, but you got something going on, you just need to lay it at Jesus' feet. You need to give it to him again. You are cut to the heart. Let forgiveness reign. Let the water, let the, let the spirit of God wash you clean. If that is you today and you just need forgiveness, you just raise that hand up in the air on three. Raise it up on the air. One. This is your moment. Claim it. It's offered to you. Free. Two. Grab hold of it. Mercy is waiting. Three. Raise your hand up in the air if you need to claim that. Claim that forgiveness. Claim it for you. Take it home with you. Let it wash over you. I see your hands. You're doing great. Don't miss this chance. If this is you, let God have it. Give it to Him. It's too heavy for you. Let it go. Let it go. Your doubts, your worries, your heartache. I see those hands. I'm so proud of you. So, open your eyes. You guys did great. I'm so proud of you. Now listen, we're going to sing a song here in a minute. We're going to do it together. We're going to stand up. We're going to let God have a moment. We're going to believe His Spirit's moving. We're going to believe that He is all for us. He has forgiven everything, even the worst parts. And we're going to sing in His joy and tell the nations in every tongue that we can learn that He is God. He is faithful. His Son is not dead. He is alive. And we are with Him right now. And we'll be one day forever. Stand up right now. Let's sing together.